Hey class, Prop JC here. I'm on page 114 in the Dare to Lead book by Renee Brown. This is what we are. Uh, this is one of the books that we're working through um, this summer. And again, I've got to tell you that I, um, I'm i learning something on the journey with you as well. I tend to be one of these kind of people um, who could find myself saying that emotions have no place in the workplace, right? And uh, maybe you're there as well. And I think that this book has been, it's been good for me, to be honest with you. I've heard a lot of Brene Brown's work. I've seen a lot of her talks, especially the ones that she has online. I think she's a fascinating human being. And I think what she's doing is really good for the world. But it's one thing to say all that. And it's another thing to to, to do what she asks ask, um, us to do. And so this has been a game changer. So I hope it's been helpful for you as well, even in the workplace right now. So let's just, I'm just going to read through a few paragraphs here at the end of this chapter here. I'm on page 114. And she talks about this idea of putting down the armor. This is going to lead us into a conversation about uh, the idea of um, radical truth, radical transparency. And, and that'll lead to our questions for today. So here we go. Roosevelt's speech, and she talks about the speech that if you go all the way back to the beginning of the book, um, she actually puts his speech in there. It's his talk. It's 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 called the Man in the Arena, and in my opinion, it's one of the best. Um, it's one of the best quotes I've ever heard in my entire life, and it goes like this: It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, who at the best knows in the end, the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. That's where this comes from, this whole book, Dare to Lead, right? And um, she talks a lot about the bravery, the courageousness that comes in this idea of authenticity and being vulnerable within the workplace. It's not something that we think about too often. Okay, so that's the speech that she's referencing here. She says Roosevelt's speech makes no mention of armor or weaponry. There are no shields glinting in the afternoon sun, no saber swords or rifles. It would appear that the unarmored person in the arena is fighting with wits, bravery and bare hands. Roosevelt is talking about grappling person to person. That's where the credit goes. The book says to the person and then in quotes, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, who at the best knows in the end, the triumph of high achievement, who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. And then the book goes on to say the credit goes to the person in the arena, the greatest arena in a world overrun with fear, criticism and cynicism is vulnerability. So the person in the arena, the man or woman in the arena, based on this book and based on what we're talking about here is the person who could serve the world and how they serve the world. Okay. In a world that's filled with fear, criticism, and cynicism, how you do that is by approaching that with vulnerability.
As I've long studied vulnerability, uh, this is Brene Brown speaking here, which dates back to her dissertation research in 1998. I'll always think of the very best example of vulnerability is saying, I love you first. Talk about taking off the armor. Just think Thinking about that moment takes my breath away. Like many of you, I've taken that risk and had the indescribable experience of hearing, oh my God, I love you too. And I've been in the, she says, I've been in the shitty end of, oh, thank you, but I think we're on different pages. I've, I've, I've always said this, and I tell my daughters this all the time. You have not experienced love. You've not experienced life. I would say even if you've never experienced the pain of rejection and it's one of those, right? Where you say something like, I love you. And then the person's like, Oh, that's so cute. Or all oh, that's so nice. Thank you so much. Or, or when you've asked somebody out, you've had a crush on them. You've liked them. You asked them out and uh, you know, and they tell, you no, you know, they say, Hey, I think we could be great friends or say, yeah, sure. I'd love to hang out with you. You know, we're, we're great friends or something, right? There's part of that rejection. That's really important, but it, 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 it means, uh, it's the power of being vulnerable, of stepping up to say, hey, I'm going to ask you out on this date or hey, stepping up to say, I'm going to tell you I love you first. That's hard for us to do. And again, if you think about your first time to do that, that was not an easy thing uh, for you to do. It meant being vulnerable, right? It meant, you know, put, putting yourself out there. For those of you on the call who have a partner or a spouse, you know, you have somebody that you're in a dating relationship with, you know this to be true. And in unhealthy, unsafe relationships, uh, and, and I don't mean just abusive or anything like that, but I just mean unsafe relationships where there lacks trust, there's going to lack vulnerability. And so each person is going to hold back. They're not going to say what they really want to say. And all of this comes into the workplace as well. When there's no trust, there's no vulnerability. People, 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 page 115, she says this. In those moments, it's hard to remember that the brokenhearted are the bravest among us because they got past their egos and busted their hearts out of that prison so they could love, or I would say this, so they could lead. Yes, there's pain and more dust and sweat and blood. It's hard. And when we don't understand that the willingness to risk hurt or failure is courage, okay, or or we don't have the skills to rumble and recover, it's easy to reach for the armor and weapons at the mere whiff of vulnerability right it's easy to put up the the swords it's easy to put up the shields right the you know the ones that we carry around every day and 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 not want to be vulnerable it's it's hard even i'm sure as a student to write about this you know some of you are probably more analytically minded you're more into the accounting and the finance and you're taking this class because you have to be thinking man this is you know this is bs i, I don't want to have to be taking this class right and so it's easy to put up that weapon. It's easy to put up the, you know, the arm and say, I don't want to have to do this, but this is important. And again, I'm probably more like you than what, yes, I teach these courses, but it's, it's, it's one thing to teach this. It's another thing to actually enact this every single day in relationships with my children, uh, with coworkers, right? This is not easy to do. And I, I, I'd be the first one to tell you, I'm not the one who goes into other people's offices and starts talking about my issues, right? I have kind of a mindset, keep your mouth shut, keep your head down, do the work. Um, but what Brene Brown is saying is that we can't really build strong cultures if that's if that's how we approach the workplace. She goes on to say this, as our work around the world has taught us, she's talking about her work around the world, the fear of vulnerability and all that comes with taking off the armor, the fear of being judged or misunderstood or making a mistake, being wrong and experiencing shape. It's universal. It's everywhere. 
Okay. The, the leaders interviewed for this book represent organizations across the globe from film studios, tech companies, <clears throat> and accounting firms to military commands, schools, and community building organizations. How is it possible, Brene asked, that the fear of taking off the armor is universal? And here's what she says. People, people, people everywhere are just people, people, people. And that's true, right? Human beings at our core... Um, it's 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 not fun to be vulnerable. I'm going to skip down a uh, paragraph here. She says this, the cultural messages and expectations that fuel feelings of vulnerability, even shame may be different, but the experiences themselves, as well as their ability to alter who we are and how we show up are universal. One powerful universal truth that has stood the test of global research, and here's what it is. If shame and blame is your current management style, or if it's a pervasive cultural norm, we can't ask people to be vulnerable or brave. I want to read that one more time. If shame and blame, and that could even be towards you. It may not be towards somebody else. It could be towards you. If you're best at shaming yourself, you're best at blaming yourself. Every time something goes wrong, you're very tough on yourself. If that's the case, you know, more than likely, you're probably tough on other people. You know, this is something I struggle with in my parenting. I'm very tough on myself uh, and my own journey and kind of where I'm going in life. But if I'm not careful, I take that same toughness and I I, I put it on my children, right? I, I, I put it on the people around me, on my relationships, if shame and blame is your management style or if it's a pervasive cultural norm, we can't ask people to be vulnerable or brave. Shame can only rise to a certain level before people have to armor up and sometimes disengage to stay safe. Right. So shame is when we uh, something negative happens in the workplace, whatever it is. And instead of trying to get to the heart of the matter and solving the problem, you know, we turn to blame, which then leads people towards shame. Right. And then we just empower it. Okay. Uh, another learning about the universal applicability of the daring leadership find, uh, findings came from the people we interviewed who lead distributed global teams. They talked about the, impo uh, the importance of having ongoing, difficult, and vulnerable conversations about the different cultural messages and expectations that corrode trust and psychological safety in a team where they are not identified and, um, and discussed. Moving down, um, one participant who is a champion of daring leadership in her company leads a team of highly skilled analysts located all over the world who are diverse, not only in terms of culture, but also of age and gender identity. She said this, one of the most important and most challenging parts of my job is surfacing what's getting in the way of our team's communication and performance. And then she gives a story about. You know, some of her team weren't talking on a call and she said, well, how can I help you? And then and the team, you know, put it back on her. We've asked you to send out the agenda in advance. When you send the agenda 10 minutes before the call, we feel disrespected. We're not able to prepare the way we need to. OK, that's that's what we're talking about here. That's empowering that vulnerable uh, that that um, vulnerability, the 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 ability for people to be worked. So that that leads me to this idea of radical truth, radical transparency. I don't know if you've ever heard of a person by the name of Ray Dalio. And actually I have his book right here. It's called Principles. It's a book by Ray Dalio. Highly recommend you get this book. I know you have a ton of reading that you're doing right now, but this book is a game changer. It led to my own decision in my own life to create my own principles for my own life, for business, for leadership. And then to lead my children to create principles as well. Uh, so he's got a great book about this. This guy's worth $16 billion. He grew a company from zero to $16 billion. He's had a lot of success. You, you can find out a lot about him. But one of the things he talks about is 
uh, is, is this idea of radical truth, radical transparency. And so here's what the article has to say. Okay. I'm on principles.com actually, which is the website that's associated with that book. Understanding what is true is essential for success. Being uh, radically transparent about everything, uh, including mistakes and weaknesses, helps create the understanding that leads to improvement. Uh, that's not just a, a, a theory. We have to put this into practice. Uh, we have put this into practice at Bridgewater, and that's the company that he, uh, that he founded. Uh, this is the company he ran for over 40 years. Now, he just turned it over to his successor in, in the last couple of years, but he ran that company for a long time. He said, we've put this practice at, uh, put this into practice at Bridgewater for over 40 years. And by this, he means, uh, being radically transparent about everything. So we know how it works. But like most things in life, being radically truthful and transparent has co, uh, has cons as well as pros, which I will describe as accurately as possible. Being radically truthful and transparent with your colleagues and expecting your colleagues to be the same with you ensures that important issues are apparent instead of hidden. It also enforces good behavior and good thinking because when you have to explain yourself, everyone can openly assess the merits of your log of your logic. If you are handling things well, radical transparency will make that clear. And if you are handling things badly, radical transparency will make that clear as well. So it helps to maintain high standards. Okay. And then communicate those standards and everyone follows those same standards. Radical truth and radical transparency are fundamental to uh, having a real idea meritocracy. And so he talks about this in, in his company, how he would say it is it's not a, uh, an autocracy, right? Or even a democracy. Uh, what it is is an idea meritocracy. That means that the best idea wins. Not the leader, not the CEO, not the manager, not the person who's most popular. This idea of an idea meritocracy makes sure that we keep as much as we can the politics out of the work, right? And it's just saying in this room where all of us are brilliant, and I'm sure that's what his company was like in this room, it's about the best idea winning out, not about the best person or the person with the most rank, okay? Uh, the more people can see what is happening, the good, the bad, the ugly, the more effective they are at deciding the appropriate way of handling things. This approach is also invaluable for training. Learning is compounded and accelerated when everyone has the opportunity to hear what everyone else is thinking. As a leader, you will get the feedback essential for your learning and for the continual improvement of the organization's decision-making rules and seeing firsthand what's happening and why, um, and, and why builds trust and allows people to make the independent assessments of the evidence that a functioning idea meritocracy requires. Okay. Adapting to, then he's got a heading here that says adapting to radical truth and radical transparency. Radical truth and radical transparency takes getting used to. Virtually everyone who joins Bridgewater believes intellectually that radical truth and radical transparency are what they want because after careful thought, that's what they signed up for. Yet most find it difficult to adjust to because they struggle with to use. Okay. While they're up their uh, their upper level you that's like the higher level of who you are understand the benefit of it their lower level you that's the lower you know that's kind of our lower base uh personality right you know the higher us we see good we joy courage patience right all these big things we think in 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 higher terms we see the world and we want to uh, fix things in the world we want to help other people that's 
the higher level. That's the secure part of us. That's the courageous part of us. But all of us, if we're not careful, uh, live down here in the lower level, right? That's the fear. That's the insecurity. That's the self-protection, uh, all those things, right? From our childhood or whatever it is, right? Uh, so very rarely do we get up into the upper level. But when we do, what he's saying is this, you understand the benefit of, hey, that would be great to have someone who's honest with me. That means I'm growing consistently. I've got someone who's consistently providing feedback to me. How cool is that? That means I'm going to consistently be getting better. But what stops us from that? It's that lower level us, that, that fear, that insecurity. Right. As as Brene Brown just said, people are people are people are people. Right. So while the upper level use understand the benefit of it, the lower level use tend to react with fight or flight response. Adapting typically takes about 18 months, though it varies from individual to individual. And there are those who never successfully adapt to it. Uh, some people tell me, this is Ray speaking, it's inconsistent with human nature to operate this way, that people need to be protected from harsh truths and that such a system can never work in practice. Our experience, he says, and our success, he says, have proven that wrong. While it's true that our way of being is not what most people are used to, that doesn't make it unnatural any more than the hard physical exercise athletes and soldiers do is unnatural. It is a fundamental law of nature that you get stronger only by doing difficult things. While our idea meritocracy is not for everyone, that, that means not all companies can do it. And we're going to talk about that here in a second about your company, where you are, where you're leading right now, or where you hope to lead. For those who adapt to it, which is about two thirds of those who try it, it is so liberating and effective that it's hard for them to imagine any other way to be. And I, and I have to tell you something. I've led a team like this. So I, I first read about this years ago, and I said, I'm going to implement uh, this principle of radical truth and radical transparency in the team that I was leading. I got to tell you, it, it was phenomenal what it did for us as a team. It made us almost instantly better, and we just progressively got better because we were so uh, self-critical and that's not the best way. That's not the best word. We were just so aware and we were so transparent with ourselves and we let other people be transparent with us. And it, it caused us as a group to get better. And I would say the people on the team individually got better. So I've seen this work. Uh, and, and it didn't work for everybody. There were people that we'd bring on to the team and they didn't work and they didn't like it. And so they would last maybe three, four, five weeks, but the people who stuck around really became strong people. Okay. So, so let's finish this up here. What, what Ray says here. So Ray says, for me, not telling people what's really going on so as to protect them from the worries of life is like letting your kids grow into adulthood, believing in the tooth fairy or Santa Claus. While concealing the truth might make people happier in the short run, it won't make them smarter or more trusting in the long run. It's a real asset that people know they can trust what we say. For that reason, I believe that it's almost better to struggle to shoot straight, even when you don't have all the answers or when there's bad news to convey. As Winston Churchill said, there's no worse course in leadership than to hold out false hopes soon to be swept away. People need to face harsh and uncertain realities if they're going to learn how to deal with them. And you'll learn a lot about people, the people around you by seeing how well they do. Here's the deal. You are in a class right now where we're talking about service. Service means that we're, uh, that we're putting ourselves last and we're serving other people. 
That's the point of this, okay? We live lives of service. Living lives of service means that we want to help people reach their full and highest potential. That should be your goal as a leader. Yes, you want the profit, you want the effectiveness, you want the impact that your organization needs to do, but how you get there is by making sure that you're empowering the people who are on your team, the people who are working for them. That means that means you have to help them reach their full and highest potential. We can only make this happen if we are honest with them. I'm a huge advocate of this idea of radical truth, radical transparency. If you've had any other classes with me before, you've probably heard me talk about this. This is a game changer. It helps you get better. It helps the people around you. And as a leader, if you empower this on your team, and it, it, it's an idea meritocracy, that means that 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 the best idea wins. So it's not about you as a leader, because we as leaders are the same as the people we lead. We have fears and, and insecurities, and we lack courage. It's part of who we are. It's part of the human experience, and we're the same way. Now we should be better because we're leaders. We need to be working that kind of stuff out. But I'm here to tell you right now, if you can build that into your organization into your team, you will get better as a leader. And then every assignment you get is going to get better and better and better. And one day when you're CEO of the organization, you're going to be amazed at how good you are because you allowed the people around you on the journey up, you allowed them to help make you a better leader, a better person. I can't stress this enough how important this is. Now, it goes back to what Brene Brown talked about. Okay. People, 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 right? Uh, but it starts with vulnerability. That's the culture, okay? And it means I have to be vulnerable as a leader to give and receive feedback. And that means that that your team has to be vulnerable to give and receive feedback. That means trust has to be there, okay? It can't be about the shame and the blame that we talked about earlier, okay? So as leaders, we have to, if we're going to be of service to other people, it's not about shaming people. It's not about blaming people. It's, and, and I would just communicate it. We want our organization to get better. That means we as human beings have to be, have to get better. That means we need to see fully what our strengths are and what our weaknesses are. And here's the deal. We're not going to see that unless we communicate that because your strengths are on full display for everyone. But I'm going to tell you something else. Your weaknesses are on full display for everyone else as well. If you want to know you, what your weaknesses are, ask the people around you because they know. And when you empower them to tell you, at first, they're going to have a lot of fun telling you what your weaknesses are. And it's going to be really offensive to you and you're not going to like it. You may not even like them. You want to fire the whole team, right? That, that may be something you want to do. But if you're a wise leader, you're not going to. You'll go back and you'll go for a long walk or you'll go home and you'll, you know, cry in the corner or journal, do whatever it is, go for exercise, do whatever it is, eat a whole pizza, I, you know, whatever it is that you do to cope in that moment, you're going to do that. But then you're going to pick yourself up and say, you know what? I asked for this and now I'm better. And now once you've done that, you can begin to empower that in the organization. It will Will not be easy. As Ray Dalio just said, it, it takes 18 months for people to get used to this. And I think there at his company, I think I read some stats that pretty much a third of the company uh, leaves after they've been hired because they can't take it. So you got to understand that you're going to have 33% of your company who's going to be walking away. But the 66 who stay, amazing who, um, who they become. So here's the questions I want to ask you to look at um, uh, this week. Based on everything we just talked about, Okay. What are the benefits of radical truth, radical transparency in serving other people? Okay. And when I say serving, I also mean leading in leading and serving other people. What are the benefits? Now, 
what are the challenges, not just based on what we read, but also based on your experience? What are the challenges of radical truth, radical transparency in leading and serving other people? That's the second question. Third question is this. Is this something that you uh, that your current organization uh, could implement? OK, so let's say you're working in an organization. Uh, if you're leading it, could you implement it? Uh, if you're in an organization, maybe you're not the leader. Could you, you know, could your organization, could the culture implement it as well? Why or why not? OK, I want to hear that. Right. Uh, so those three questions right there. What are the benefits? of radical truth, radical transparency, and serving and leading others? What are the challenges in radical truth, radical transparency, and leading others? And and, and and again, don't just go to the end of this video and just and get the questions, just start answering. You gotta know what this means, radical truth. So you gotta listen to this video or do some research on it, okay? And is this something you your current culture could implement? Why or why not? I wanna add one more question, one more question to you, okay? How does auth, um, I keep wanting to say authenticity. How does vulnerability and radical truth, radical transparency go hand in hand? How do these two issues, vulnerability and radical truth, radical transparency, how do they go hand in hand? Answer those questions. I'm looking forward to seeing your responses this week, everybody. And again, I, I, I want to recommend to you, you are in service to other people. That's your job as a leader. Your job is to make the organization sing, right? To make it profitable to make it effective to make it impactful that's your job how you do that is through people and one of the best ways that you can do that is to build a culture where everybody is transparent and honest with each other i look forward to reading your responses uh have a great week i'll see you on the next podcast take care